The scripture reading today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nathan. How are y'all? Okay. How are y'all? We're just so happy to be here. Uh, so the last time I was here preaching, uh, I was wearing the same shirt that my son is wearing now. Um, so that was a while ago. Um, so it's good to see new faces that I've never seen before. It's good to see old faces. Um, it's good to see the good work uh, that the band and Michelle and the leaders here like Ed have put together and Nathan. Uh, so thank you for having me. Uh, would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty God, we pray that by the power of your word and Holy Spirit, you would confirm the words of our mouth to the word made flesh, so that we too may be obedient and humble, capable of confessing and praising and exalting you. And all of God's people say, not long ago, USA Today featured a story about perceptions of God in America and how a, a person's perception of God influences their opinions on issues of the day. The research can be found in a book by two sociologists at Baylor, the Baptist University in Texas. Their book's entitled America's Four Gods, What We Say About God and What That Says About Us. The researchers identify four primary characteristics of God. They are authoritative, benevolent, critical, and distant. Based on surveys, they have come up with percentages of what American people believe about God. Authoritative, 28%. 
according to the authors, people who hold this view of God divide the world along good and evil. And they tend to be people who are worried, concerned, and scared. They respond to a powerful, sovereign God guiding this country. Distant, 24%. These are people who identify more with the spiritual and speak of finding the mysterious, unknowable God in creation or through contemplation or in elegant mathematical theories. Critical, 21%. 21%. The researchers describe people who perceive a God who keeps a, a critical eye on this world but only delivers justice in the next world. And then benevolent, 22%. According to the researchers, their God is a, a positive influence who cares for all people, weeps at all conflicts, and will comfort all. Benevolent, distant, critical, authoritative. Along the way, their research nets some curious findings. For instance, if your parents spanked you when you were a child, then you're more likely to subscribe to an authoritarian view of God. If you're European, then in all likelihood, you have a distant view of God. If you're poor, then odds are you fall into the critical view. My wife seldom lets me Let's, my wife only seldom agrees to spank me, but presumably, if you're into adult spanking, then you subscribe to a benevolent view of God. <laughs> Sorry, honey. United Methodists, meanwhile, United Methodists, meanwhile, proving that we can't make up our minds about anything, they tend to be distributed evenly among the four characteristic groups. The book is several years old now, so I was surprised to discover that the sociologist survey is still up and running online. And as people take the survey, the percentages change. So you might be interested to know that right now the distant view of God is pulling ahead in the polls as the authoritative God falls behind and the benevolent God gains a few points. When I discovered the website not long ago, I decided to take the survey. All 20 questions of it. I was asked to rate whether or not the term loving described God very well, somewhat well, undecided, not very well, or not at all. Other divine attributes in the 20 survey questions were critical, punishing, severe, wrathful, distant, ever-present. I was asked if I thought God was angered by human sin and angered by my sin. I was asked if God was concerned with my personal well-being and then with the well-being of the world. In order to capture my understanding of and belief in God, maker of heaven and earth, in whom we live and move and have our being, according to my watch, the survey took all of 2 minutes and 35 seconds. Or, roughly, 10,078 minutes faster than God managed to create the world. After I finished, I was told what percentage of people in my demographic shared my view of God. College-educated men under the age of none of your damn business. You may be interested to know, but no doubt surprised, that the survey found that this pastor maintains a perception of a benevolent God. It was only after I answered all the questions, only after I saw my results, only after I saw how I measured up against other respondents, only then did it strike me how the Baylor survey never asked me about Jesus. And the survey asked me to choose if I thought God was authoritative or distant or critical or benevolent, but it never asked me. It was never given as an option if I thought God was incarnate in the flesh among us. 
I mean, I'm no sociologist. Presumably, do you believe that God, though being in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Presumably, that's a lousy question. Even still, it struck me that I just taken a supposedly thorough survey about my belief in God, and Jesus was not in any of the questions, nor was he ever a possible answer. You know, I even tried to go back and undo, invalidate my responses, but it wouldn't let me. You know, the problem with the survey, the problem with the survey is that whether I like it or not, God's not someone I get to pick with just the click of a mouse. I'm a Christian. How I conceive of God isn't optional. It isn't up for grabs. You know, we don't get to define God according to whatever generalities we'd prefer. Instead, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we confess that, we profess that God has come to us with the most particular of definitions. The problem with the survey is that I don't believe God is authoritative, distant, critical, or benevolent. I believe Jesus is God. Christians are peculiar. And maybe it takes a survey to point that out. When we say God, we mean Jesus. And when we say Jesus, we mean the God who emptied himself, the God who traded divinity for poverty, power for weakness, the God who came down among us and stooped down to serve the lowliest of us. You know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said that if God had wanted to, God could have been sovereign. If God had wanted to, God could have been all-powerful or all-knowing. If God had wanted to, God could have been holy or righteous. But instead, said Wesley, God chose to be Jesus. You see, it's not that God's power and glory and divinity are somehow disguised behind Jesus' life. It's not that in Jesus, God masquerades as someone he's not already. The incarnation isn't a temporary timeout in which God gets to pretend to be a different person. And rather, when we see Jesus in the wilderness saying no to the world's ways of power, when we see Jesus, the great high priest, embracing lepers and eating with sinners, when we see Jesus stoop down to wash our dirty feet, when we see Jesus freely choose death rather than retaliation, when we see Jesus pour himself out, empty himself, humble and humiliate himself, we're seeing as much of God as there is to see. In the Son, we see as much of the Father as there has ever been to see. I mean, just look at today's scripture text. I mean, the song Paul quotes here in Philippians 2 is a worship song. It's older even than the Gospels themselves. And don't forget, the believers who first sang that song, they were good synagogue-going Jews. As such, they could worship only God alone. To worship anyone other than God was to break the first and most important of commandments. But here, their song praises Jesus as only God can be praised. Louding him as Lord, to whom the song concludes has been given the name above every name. Of course, the name above every name? The name above every name is the name that was too holy for Jews to utter or even write down. 
The name above every name is the name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The name above every name is the name of God. And now that name's synonymous with Jesus. After I completed the Baylor survey in less than three minutes, a window popped up on the screen to tell me conclusively that I had a perception of a benevolent God. For me, the survey said, God is a positive influence on people. I suppose that means God's like Anderson Cooper or Donald Trump. Just kidding. The survey results also explained how my particular perception of God likely impacted my worldview. In other words, how my belief in God played out in my positions on contemporary issues and politics. But the survey never mentioned anything about a community. According to the survey, I'm just an individual person who has a certain perception of God, and that perception influences my opinions on political issues. It never said anything about a community. I told you it was a terrible survey. And this past Thursday, a couple asked to meet with me. Even though I emailed and texted them beforehand, they wouldn't tell me why they needed to meet with me so urgently. Great, I thought. They're either PO'd at me or they're leaving the church or they're getting divorced. Either way, I'm going to be late for dinner, I thought. When they came to my office, I could feel the anxiety popping off of them like static electricity. You know, the counseling textbooks call it active listening, but really I was just sitting there in front of them silent because I had no idea where or how to begin. The husband, the dad, I noticed, was clutching his jeans cuff at the knees. And after an awkward silence and an even more awkward bit of chit-chat, the wife, the mom, finally said, you know, you and this church have been an important part of our lives. So we wanted you to know what's going on in our family. And we thought we should do it face-to-face. Here we go, I thought. They're splitting up or they're splitting from here. What's up, I asked sitting up to to find a knot in my stomach. And she told me something else entirely, something surprising. She told me their daughters, youth in my church, about my oldest son's age. They'd both just come out to them. They're both gay, she said. Is that all, I asked? Good God, that's a relief. I was afraid you were going to tell me you were getting divorced. Jesus doesn't like divorce. And they exhaled. I could see they've been holding their breath. You know, this church has been a big part of our lives, and we wanted to make sure you knew that about them, she said. But also, and her voice trailed off, and then her husband spoke up. We also wanted to make sure that they'd still be welcomed here course. Absolutely, I said. I could see the hesitation in their eyes. Like I just tried to sell them the service plan at Best Buy. (laughs) So I said it plain. Look, I love them. The church loves them. God loves them. Nothing will ever change that. You don't think they're sinners, she asked? Of course they're sinners, I said. But that would be true if they were straight. 
Besides, it doesn't change my point. Jesus loves sinners. And we talked a bit more about how this issue is playing out in the larger church, about how you can know your kids, but still they can be a surprising mystery to you too. About how it can be hard to adjust to picturing your kid's future as something different than what you'd always imagined it. You guys baptized and confirmed them here, the dad said, by way of example. I'd always imagined them getting married here and you performing their wedding. Their wedding photo might look a little different than you'd imagined it, but I'll still be in it, I said. Let's wait until they get out of high school. Isn't there a rule against you doing it, the mom asked? Would you get in trouble? There is, and I might, I said. But what am I supposed to do? I serve a God who says his kingdom is like a wedding to which all the wrong kinds of people get invited. He's the only rule I've got to obey. And they laughed a little. But then he said, with absolute seriousness, I guess we came here because they want to know and we want them to know that God still loves them. Now, maybe it was because I just filled out that silly survey, but after they left the church office, I thought about what sort of God it is that could produce the conversation we just had. What sort of God is that? Authoritative, distant, critical, or benevolent? Or is it Jesus? Is it the God who trades away his divinity so that he might be with us? Is it the God who takes flesh to welcome outcasts and embrace lepers and feast with sinners? What sort of God could produce the conversation we just had? Authoritative or distant or critical or benevolent or the God with us? While all of us were still sinners with us, with us through the grief and the joy and the confusion of our lives. With us, such that to be faithful and obedient to this God means that we must be willing to be with one another no matter what that means. What sort of God could produce the conversation we just had? Or the kind of community capable of such conversation? Benevolent doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the God who took flesh, became what we are, so that what we are, male or female, black or white, gay or straight, we are in him. So that all of us must treat every one of us as him, as precious as him. All of us must treat every one of us As Christ, he became what we are. What we are, black or white, male or female, gay or straight, is in him. All of us, therefore, must regard every one of us as though we were him. Distant, critical, benevolent, authoritative. Tell me what sort of God other than Jesus Christ could produce that posture. What sort of God could produce the conversation we just had? I mean, sure, there's scripture verses that could have taken our conversation in the opposite direction. But we're Christians. We believe Jesus, not scripture, is the word that God speaks to us because we believe Jesus is God. I mean, maybe if our God was authoritative or, or critical or, or distant even, maybe then we could throw around scripture words like abomination. But we believe Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God, and in Jesus, God refuses to cast stones. God says to the woman caught in adultery, I do not condemn you, even though Scripture condemned her. God forgives those who know exactly what they're doing. God eats and drinks with sinners. And to the thieves by the cross, God gives the first two tickets to paradise. And speaking of the cross, God responds to the crosses we build with Easter, with resurrection. Only that sort of God could produce the conversation I'd had with those parents. Even more importantly, only that sort of God could produce the community that produced those parents that produced our conversation. Only that sort of God could produce the community that produced those parents, that produced those girls who yearned to hear that God loved them. After they left my office, I emailed the Baylor sociologist responsible for the survey. Dear Dr. Bader, I'm a United Methodist pastor in Alexandria, Virginia. Having read about your book and your research in USA Today, I just completed your survey online. Since I was unable to cancel or otherwise invalidate my responses, I felt I should share a few comments with you. First, let me take issue with the four views of God that your group responses responses into. I don't deny there's a diversity of religious belief in America. It's just that as a Christian... I was surprised to find that the God whom I worship isn't to be found in any of your questions or categories. I believe Jesus of Nazareth is as much of God as there is to see. Authoritative, distant, critical, or benevolent, therefore, are not sufficient categories to describe the God who empties himself, takes flesh, lives the life of a servant, and turns the other cheek all the way to a cross. Perhaps you think my definition of God is too specific. The trouble is, in Jesus of Nazareth, God couldn't have been more specific. Second, your survey suggests that believing in God is primarily about having a particular worldview that then influences one's opinions on issues. I can't speak for other religions, but as a Christian, I can say that if Jesus Christ is Lord, then it's not a matter of opinions. Before the creed is a profession of our beliefs, it's a pledge of allegiance. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then faith in him means faithfulness to him. His life, is the pattern to which we must conform our lives. And must conform is the right wording. For if Jesus Christ is Lord, then he's owed not our belief, but our obedience. And obedience for Christians means imitation, imitating Christ. So you see, Dr. Bader, Jesus expects a lot more from us than having the right positions on issues. Finally, I just came from a conversation with parents of two teenage girls who just came out of the closet. And during my conversation with them, it occurred to me, in all of your questions on your survey, you never asked if I believed that God loved me. Postulating a loving God in the abstract is not the same thing as believing that God loves me. Me. No matter what. You never asked that question, and that's the most important question. For those parents who fear of God's rejection, I could see in their eyes and for their girls who've already been baptized into Jesus Christ, for those girls and for their parents, I thank God that in Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. No doubt the harsh tone of my email will lead you to conclude that I score in the authoritative God category. Not so, even though my mother did spank me as a child. No, I rate solidly in the benevolent God category. 
So I hope you will believe that it's in a spirit of benevolence when I say, for lack of a better expression, I think your survey is crap. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> Jason Michelli. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.